Louise McSharry on 2FM. Now, as you know, every week around this time on a Saturday, we catch up on all that's happened in the world of news. And today we are joined by a new uh, news reporter. Very excited. We have Gabia Gattasvaskatia, who is political car reporter, reporter with The Independent, The Irish Independent. Hi. <laughs> yeah, I, good to see you. I said all the words. Um, how are you? Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here in your lovely studio. I was complimenting all the lights. Beautiful in here. It's a lot of lights. There are a lot of lights. But it's funny, sometimes I come in and I do my like Instagram stories of what's coming up on the show and I need literally every single light to be on. Otherwise, I'm not happy. Right. Yeah. And there's like about 12. It's, it's like Christmas in here, isn't it? Lighting is so important. <laughs> no, it's beautiful, yeah. Um, now, you are here on a very momentous day mm-hmm. because this is the first time... I think since February of 2020, that we are not starting our news chat with COVID. Yeah, I think we're coming into a new phase. We're nearly at the end of the pandemic. Yeah. And I think it is it is remarkable. I think people are probably getting sick of COVID at this stage as yeah. well. Um, but it is it is good to have no COVID-related story. Obviously, we are coming up at the end of October. We're going to see the left rest of the restrictions being lifted yeah but apart from that yeah it's brilliant to talk about anything other than COVID I was very happy (laughs) I couldn't agree more Um, unfortunately as always in this slot it's not all good news though and we are going to start by talking about the fact that colleges around the country are saying that some students are having to rely on food banks to get by yeah, the story started making uh, waves on Wednesday um, when a photograph emerged of a poster stuck up on the campus in University College Cork. Um, a poster stuck up on the door of their food bank apologising because it had run out of food. Um, and the food bank is open for two hours on Wednesday evenings and offers students non-perishable foods such as pasta, cereal, mm. tinned meats and beans, tea and coffee. Also sometimes, I think this week it had fresh veg and bread on option and they were donated by a supermarket and also provides things like mouthwash, deodorant, toothpaste and tampons and it actually run out of supplies. Um, now UCC, interestingly, is not actually the only college to have a food bank for students. Many other colleges do the same, including DCU and TU. TUS Athlone and they're normally run by volunteers or chaplains but around this time of year we always see this conversation pop up again about students and student accommodation and how um, difficult it is for young people to get an education and it was interesting because this time last year we had this interesting situation I remember reporting on at the time where we have these private luxury accommodation blocks mm. and because students were told actually this year you can you know you're probably going to be on campus for maybe one or two days if even um, students took to the spare room in their mum and dad's gaff and they didn't need to go off and look for accommodation and these huge towers of private student accommodation which is very expensive were actually left sitting empty but this year um, now that students are back on campuses of course looking for accommodation and and there's been done very little to actually relieve the student accommodation crisis Mm. and so a lot of them are going back into these cities and they either there's a radical shortage of housing or the housing that is there is just simply unaffordable. Yeah. And so they are paying whatever it is, a thousand euro a month for a room or, you know, 800, 900, 700, a lot of money for a student um, who's probably only working 10 hours a week maximum. Yeah, I've heard like absolute horror stories of, uh, you know, five or six students sharing rooms, five mm-hmm. or six students sharing hotel rooms. Like yeah. it's it's wild. And as you say, this is not something that a student who is supposed to be focusing on educating themselves can fund themselves. So really they're relying on family members and family members often don't have the money either. 
either. I mean, it's huge money. Yeah, bank of mum and dad. I mean, you know, I think certainly the way it used to be a couple of years ago even was that kind of Dublin was seen as... The, super expensive you know you're maybe paying 500 600 euro a month for a bedroom but now actually we're seeing the other cities following suit you know cork galway limerick those prices have come right up and they're actually now at you know quote unquote dublin prices and so students are really struggling to make the ends meet and 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 the same as i think i was reading a news report during the week where it was there was one student who was getting up at four o'clock in the morning and commuting from cavan yeah. to go into college and then going home at the end of the day yeah. i mean the impact it has on you is incredible I think um, obviously we're coming out to the budget week next week and I think all eyes will be on uh, Minister for Further Education Simon Harris to actually really do something because even if you look at the SUSE grant which actually enables a lot of students to, to go to college um, you know it has not been increased or changed in any way for 10 years oh, wow. and if you think of the cost it's of been living a big 10 years you know, yeah. 10 years is a very long time yeah. um, so I, I think certainly something needs to, and every year it seems we, around this time we're hearing the same stories of students are struggling everything the cost of living is so high accommodation costs are so high and yet there seems to be like nothing nothing's really coming out of it yeah. you know and there's no point in having a quote unquote free education mm. if people can't afford to do it for all these other reasons so there's no no equality there um, if you're relying on you know whether or not your family has the extra money um, to, to put you through college um, okay uh, let's move on there has been a huge response in the wake of Ortiz Women of Honour documentary by Katie Hannon uh, tell us about this yeah, so the excellent documentary by the excellent Katie Hannon uh, detailed d- decades of abuse suffered by former female members of the Defence Forces, including accounts of alleged sexual abuse, discrimination and harassment, which span decades. Um, mm. Now, these women of honour, they have come forward, some of them have come forward and they actually met the Minister for Foreign Affairs and Defence, Simon Harris, who apologised to them and said that there's a review that's going to take place. Um, but actually, these damning accusations that emerge from the documentary, they really shocked military personnel of all ranks but it was especially the people in the higher ups who had wrongly assumed that it was dealt with that were most taken aback by the revelations. There was a piece by um, Conor Gallagher in the Irish Times and it actually quotes a serving female uh, soldier who says I'm so so happy this is coming out now I've seen these types of things described in the radio programme and I've experienced it to a lesser extent. Mm-hmm. So I think what's quite remarkable is that you know the documentary yes it's saw former, former members coming forward and sharing their experience but actually some of this stuff is unfortunately still happening to even you know women that are still in the forces mm. um, I think it was also quite significant that worryingly there was details of abuse that was detailed by a former army captain Tom Clonan who wrote a PhD in the year 2000 which showed widespread harassment bullying and sexual abuse of female soldiers and the defence forces actually attempted to initially discredit Clonan and his report and then later on it moved to change course and it put in place oversight and reporting mechanisms in an effort to clamp down on future abuse but of course as we know from Katie Hannon that was not enough. Yeah, to be 20 years on and still having the same conversation is pretty bleak. Um, hopefully this will, <coughs> excuse me, instigate change though, actual proper systemic change. Um, now, Poland could be leaving the EU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is really quite a big story on a European scale. So it is a little bit complicated but just bear with me I'll do my best to explain it so Poland's constitutional tribunal has ruled that some EU laws are actually in conflict with the country's constitution and that whatever agreements Poland makes with 
at the European Union in terms of treaties, they do not overwrite national law. Mm. So this could see Poland going towards a pole exit and maybe eventually, as you're saying there, become the second country to leave the EU. Um, so I suppose in a, as an immediate response, it is expected there's going to be sanctions coming from Brussels. Um, they're expected to freeze almost 60 billion euro in EU pandemic recovery funds, which every country is said to receive from the Union. Now, it won't be 60 billion for every country. There are sort of different scales, but that that money probably won't be going to Poland as a result of this ruling. Um, now, actually, polls are showing that over 80% of Polish people want to be in the EU. Um, but the government is caught up in a long series of disputes with the European Union on a series of issues, including judicial reforms, freedom of the media and LGBT plus mm. rights. So obviously we heard last year, mm. um, you know, declare parts of Poland as LGBT free zones where you know, LGBT-friendly events such as pride parades, for example, were not welcomed. Mm. Um, the government of Poland is led by the Law and Justice Party. And so members of the opposition have said that the court, which ruled that the EU laws go against Poland's constitution, say that that very court has been brought under the political control of the ruling of the Law and Justice Party. Obviously, that brings into question, you know, serious questions around the separation of powers. Um, it's got to be so worrying for so many people in yeah. Poland. Like, we've spoken about the the homophobia uh, that's mm-hmm. ha- rife it seems to be rife in some parts of Poland um, and, ha- and we've spoken to Polish people about how devastating that is and about how unsafe they feel um, in their home country uh, so this has got to be just one further step into kind of a life of fear for those people yeah, it's absolutely terrifying. I mean, even I remember reading reports of the LGBT free zones. Yeah. Never even heard of such a thing before yeah. anywhere um, in, in this day and age. And it was really quite worrying, I suppose, you know, the party that is in government would be quite conservative. But this really um, leaves serious questions as to, as to where Poland is now with the EU. I mean, it is a, it's quite a big country. It's got a big impact within the Union and it really could throw off the stabilisation of the EU. Mm. Uh, Polish opposition parties, they're accusing the government of attempting to pull the country out of the EU and calling for mass protests. So I suppose it remains to be seen if, if, if we are going to see those mass protests um, mm. from people. Um, now, let's go to Texas because there's been a lot of conversation about the laws around abortion in Texas. But this week there was an interesting development. Yeah, so we heard, I think, about this law proposed by the Republican Party, um, the Heartbeat Act, and it would see the banning of terminations after the detection of what anti-abortion campaigners um, call a fetal heartbeat. Now, doctors disagree and say that it can be a bit misleading, but this effectively would ban abortions from as early as six weeks into a pregnancy at a time when most women would not even be aware that they're pregnant. But a US judge has actually moved to temporarily block that new law um, District Judge Robert Pittman granted a request by the Biden administration to prevent any enforcement of the law while its legality is being challenged. Mm. Um, the, the law, of course, was drafted and approved by Republican politicians, but the White House has come out and praised this ruling, saying that it's an important step. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki saying that the law puts women's rights under attack. Um, and if it was to come into place, I suppose it would see that it would mean that any individual from Texas or elsewhere, it would give them the right to sue doctors who perform an abortion past the six-week point, mm. but it does not allow the women who get the procedure to be sued. And even one doctor has already admitted breaking that new legislation. 
situation and, and apparently they've already been sued. So there was a lot of backlash when this kind of first book came into place um, because six weeks is very quick and most women actually don't know if they're pregnant. Yeah, until. that's it. Yeah, if you work out the timing because you're dated, like your your pregnancy is dated from the first, I think it's the first day of your last period. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it can, you know, that means you have a whole month before you even yeah. know that you've that you're late on your period or whatever, yeah. you know, ostensibly. And a lot of women are irregular. Some people's cycles are five or six weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's incredibly stressful. But we are going to finish on some good news because Africa is to start talks with the WHO on a malaria vaccine rollout. This is huge. Yeah, hopefully. And um, I suppose it's, it's it's quite good news. We are seeing that, you know, in Africa, it has struggled with malaria still. It's a really big widespread um, issue. But hopefully if we are going to see this vaccine rolled out, it will see, it will really ease the burden for a lot of Africans and it will mean that they're obviously more protected and they're and they're safer and I think that even with the COVID vaccine um, obviously we've seen remarkable uptake here in Ireland um, but it of course it means people are protected and, and it, it means that you know you have that extra layer of, of, of protection but if it is to be rolled out in Africa hopefully to as many people as possible it'll just mean that they're protected um, add an extra layer of, of, of safety and malaria is a really really big problem especially in the developing world yeah. so it is some some good news there. It's funny. I think we all have a new appreciation for vaccines, or certainly the vast majority mm-hmm. of us, more than ninety percent of us, anyway. I think have a real appreciation for the importance of vaccines, mm-hmm. and maybe a new kind of appreciation for how important this would be for a continent like Africa. Thank you so so much for coming in. I hope you've enjoyed your first go round with us. Absolutely. Um, Thank it you has for been having me. Such a pleasure to have <laughs> you here. That's Gabia Gatazvat Katia, political <laughs> reporter with the Irish Independent. <laughs> Thank you That's so, perfect. so That's much. a difficult name. Okay, no, I, I just... Is. Okay, I'm just going to say, I think names are so important and I hate... And I'm really annoyed at myself for even hesitating because I think that names are so important. And I hate the idea that if you have a name that isn't like an English speaking name, Mm -hmm. that your name is just disrespected left, right and center because people can't be bothered to pronounce it properly. So I'm really going to do my best that the next time you come here, there will be no hesitation (laughs) on my end. And I will say it exactly right. Okay, well, thank you. (laughs) Louise McSherry on 2FM.